How's it going, everyone? And welcome to Animal Talk Podcast with me, your host, Ryan Ferguson. I'm back. It's been a while, I know. It's been almost over a month. And yeah, back at it. I thought I would take a little bit of a break. thought it was only going to be a break for a week or two. Turned out to be a little bit longer than I expected, but it was pretty much me getting everything ready at work for the new normal. Um, also had a few babies on the go and hand rearing, so my time was taken up by all of that. But uh, sort of back to normal-ish now, and I'm quite excited to be back and recording my podcasts. And I'd ended on the ninth episode and decided, well, you know what, let's make the tenth episode really exciting and interesting. Well, I'm really excited to be able to introduce you to somebody that I am going to be interviewing on this podcast. And this person is my boss. Yeah, so he is the current manager of Croc World Conservation Center, where I work. I am so excited to be able to chat to him and give you guys a little bit of a, an in-depth look into how he got to where he is and where he is today. So I'm really excited to introduce you to Martin Rodriguez. How's it, Martin? How's it going? How's it, Ryan? Very well, thank you. And how are you? Good, thanks. So nice to have you on the show. It's been coming for a long time and we're finally doing this, so I'm really excited about that. Uh, likewise, hey, thank you for having me on your show as well. No worries. Martin, question I ask absolutely everybody on my podcasts and the one that everybody goes uh, every single time, and that is, what is your favorite animal? Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you on that one. Um, th there, there's so many animals that um, obviously love, but uh, I would have to go with a jaguar, hey? Nice, a jaguar. Why would you say I love, Jaguar? I love, I love South American uh, animals. Um, South America, the Amazon has always been um, an area or a region in the world that has fascinated me uh, throughout my life. And um, just with regards to your big cats and how uh, smart they are and how they go about their sort of daily routine, uh, something that's always intrigued me. So yeah, I would say Jaguar, they're beautiful animals. Um, and I've had the privilege of working with them as well over my career. So I would definitely say the Jaguar. Oh, that's awesome. Getting to work with your, your favorite animal, I guess, kind of even makes it even better. No, that's, that's, that's for sure. Um, my biggest thing is I've always been so interested in so many different animals and so many different groups of animals. So I'm one of those that even though I'm, I'm well known for being in the reptile sort of industry, um, my heart always lies with all the animals, so from carnivores, primates, uh, birds, reptiles, amphibians, sort of all the, the big groups of, of different animals is, have all fascinated me over my career. Yeah, I think that's so important to have all of that passion for those different animals, especially in our industry, because it's not always that you need to work with one specific animal. You, you get that opportunity to work with so many different things and experience so many different animals, which is great. And on that note, um, about passion. Where did your passion for animals come from? Uh, sure, it, it's quite a unique scenario in my case. So uh, with me being Portuguese, um, my father, you know, as far as I can recall, has always been in, in the, the classic cafe industry. Um, you know, your, your Portuguese stereotype where you've got a corner cafe or a veggie store. 
Um, you know, that's that's been my my sort of youth growing up with my father always having his own businesses. And he has this young boy with a passion for wildlife. Um, one thing I can say for, for a fact is that my parents, um, both coming from Rhodesia, um, they've always sort of had this love for the outdoors, uh, love for nature. And from a very early age, uh, I can recall my parents taking us out to very cool places. Um, you know, going up to Kariba, being with my family, uh, getting a little bird sticker book where whatever bird you see, then you take the stick and stick it in the place uh, where right. it belongs to sort of from there going to nature reserves and game reserves and, and just being exposed to to the natural world, um, specifically by my mom. Um, yeah. My mom, every school holiday, we would be taken on um, holidays to game reserves, Pilonsburg, um, you know, the, the likes. And um, the biggest thing for me, I think, is just being fascinated by the variety. Um, you know, as I mentioned in the beginning, I'm sort of someone that doesn't have a specific favorite group. Um, and is sort of fascinated by all aspects of, of nature and wildlife. And yeah, that's that's possibly where it all started. Uh, and then my uncle, who had quite a big um, hand in, in sort of my love and, and calling for, for wildlife and nature and um, nature conservation more specifically, got to do with him being up in Zimbabwe, uh, he was the chairman or president of the Zimbabwean um, Nature Conservation Task Force. Okay. And um, in 2000, I think it was, my um, uncle had came down to South Africa and there was a green summit that was hosted in Santon. And um, I was actually his PA and one of my friends, Donald, um, came along um, with us and we launched a green ribbon in a Peace Park, I think it was called. Um, wow. And he did so much amazing work. Unfortunately, he's late. Um, he passed away a year or two ago now, but he had such a big, strong presence in, in Zimbabwe mm -hmm. um, with the, the task force and did such amazing work. He was involved in the Cecil the Lion um, story. Um, he did a lot of work with rhinos um, and anti-poaching movements and um, very dangerous line of work. But that inspired me to know that, you know, my uncle, had this amazing impact in the world of conservation. And that for me, I think stimulated even further. At that point, I, I must've been in around standard eight or so, mm -hmm. um, standard seven, standard eight. And that really sort of drew my, my focus in quite nicely to um, you know, do subjects that would enable me to study further in university in the, in the lines of conservation, um, right. zoology, biology, that sort of, of line. Right. It's so great because, you know, most of the people I, I get the opportunity to talk to, there's those deep roots embedded that their passion comes from something that was instilled in them through the family or a family member or a friend or someone very close to them that kind of took them on those adventures and took them around and got them passionate about it. And that once that passion is there, it kind of just goes right through and goes into your work and it makes you who you are, which is really fantastic. No, I think it's you sort of in, in, in your DNA and, and, and you rightfully say that um, it's part of, of your upbringing. And, and in those early years, I mean, I've, I've listened to your podcast and your story and mine sort of lends itself to that one where at the age of six, my first bird was a ground scraper parakeet. You know, that was the first pet I had and <laughs> we had lovebirds and we had, yeah budgies and then we went into African grey parrots and 
you know, a lot of my, my schooling was paid for through the breeding of, of parrots, um, you know, by my parents. And I would be involved in cleaning the enclosures and feeding the animals. And um, it just sort of grew from there. And in my teen years, I sort of started my own little um, business, if you like, where I was breeding budgies. And then I would um, sell them and, and get enough money to buy some ring necks. And then mm -hmm. I sort of just carried on that way. And um, yeah, that's, that's sort of where, where I came from. And as I said, you know, for me, um, now being the manager of, of Crockle Conservation Center, having worked at the Johannesburg Zoo and prior to that at the Hardebiersburg Snake Park, you know, for most of my, my formal career, um, even though my direct line of work has been in the reptile industry and, and working with reptiles, has been so varied across all the different animal groups, which is again something that, that I just love so much that I've had the privilege of, of being exposed to so many different animals. Right. You mentioned about university. What did you study? How did you go about that? Um, well, I studied at the Tswane University of Technology um, up in Pretoria, formerly known as Pretoria Technicon. Um, I went into nature conservation where I studied a, a national diploma in nature conservation. And that was sort of the most amazing experience of my life. Um, still to this day, it is so... Uh, fresh in my memory like it was just yesterday that I graduated because it was the most enriching part of my life ever mm -hmm. um, you know when when you get thrown in the deep end and you are just engrossed in um, the day-to-day -day aspects of what you love it's, it's just a fantastic experience I mean I, we had to complete 19 subjects over um, I think it is two years sure. um, theoretical subjects you know, so that ranges from ecology to administration or law to um, environmental education, or, or they call it um, environmental communications, uh, to resource management, animal studies, plant studies. Um, and I'm not sure if I mentioned ecology, uh, mm -hmm. geology, soil science. So it is just so varied. Um, and with your core sort of subjects being animal studies, plant studies, ecology and resource management, you know, you've got this amazing foundation by the time you, you complete your studies. And in your third year, which is why I really enjoy the, the sort of Technicon or um, technological universities in, in, my, in my sort of perspective um, over the academic um, institutions, pure academic institutions, because what makes it very nice about um, nature conservation um, in terms of a post matric qualification is the fact that it brings a practical element into it so you spend your two years doing all your theoretical subjects um, and it is quite uh, you know a large amount of information that that you absorb and then in your third year you get to to actually put it into practice by working in a reserve um, I had the privilege and honor of working on the Oppenheimer's um, private part of the Isenvelo Nature Reserve in Broncospreit, um, Whitbank. Right. And um, I did my uh, prac year there where we had to do a sort of management plan uh, which gets based on a two-hectare plot. Um, mm -hmm. It gets extrapolated into a 200-hectare theoretical game reserve. Mm -hmm. And on that, you do all your surveys. So you do um, grass surveys, you would do soil surveys, you would do tree surveys, you would do um, animal counts, um, and then you have to bring it home by putting in uh, lodges where, on what soils can you build roads, where can right. you put up your fences, what is your stocking densities of your animals, what animals are you going to put in, um, and it's just so amazing, and as I said, you know, for me, 
um, that whole experience still is very fresh in my mind. Um, and that was sort of like the, the springboard that, that got me to um, have the opportunities to work at places like the Haribiaspo Dam Snake and Animal Park, where I started my, my sort of formal um, post-qualification career. Right. And what were you doing there? What exactly did, did you have to get done at the park? Well, um, while I was at my um, uh, sort of practical year on, on Talperia Nature Reserve, I had some exposure to quite a few cool studies um, and sort of activities that we took part in. Right. Um, and one of the days I was actually called to, to one of the lodges where they had found a snake um, and it was a puff adder. And um, I remember it like it was yesterday because I, you know, obviously now um, you, you need to use the correct equipment. But um, back then I'm faced with a scenario where there's a puff adder by a swimming pool pump and I'm so excited. Um, I need to move it. <laughs> and um, automatically without even knowing sort of just something in me knew exactly what to do. So right. to get a bucket, to turn the bucket down on its side, put some mm -hmm. newspaper in it um, and just try and nudge the snake into the bucket. And from that day, I remember walking with it. Uh, something just told me, oh, this is cool. Mm -hmm. And um, I started looking for, for positions because obviously, you know, during your, your prac year, that is um, – your mandatory thing and then after that you start looking for positions and um, right. the one at Hollywood for them snake and animal park came up and mm -hmm. and it was actually um an assistant sort of supervisor position for the reptile department and i jumped in it straight away and um i started there in december i think it was 2007 oh. uh, i was there for two 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 years and four or five months um after that, I, I went across to the Johannesburg Zoo, but the Hodipiaspo Dam Snake and Animal Park sort of shaped me um, right. as, a, as a facility, specifically from the snake and reptile side. Um, you know, at the time, it was the facility with one of the biggest collections in the country. Um, the, just the sheer number of animals that, you know, you had to work with. Um, we're looking at 40, 50 different species of, of snakes from highly venomous taipan to, um, you know, your big anacondas, um, Cuban boas. It was just such an amazing sort of experience. And um, Jason Seal was was a gentleman together with Kenneth Stradom who sort of took me under their wing. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I was put under the pump. I was given... Um, information to learn it wasn't a case where you know you walk in and, and allow you to start working with highly venomous snakes for the first right. six months i had to work with every reptile i worked with as if it was a venomous species right um and i think only after six months did i actually get my first opportunity to um neck or physically restrain a venomous snake behind the head after practicing hundreds of times on non-venomous snakes um, as if they were venomous snakes. Mm -hmm. um, so I got to, to restrain a Egyptian cobra, not um, Naja anulifera, which is your snouted cobra here in South Africa, but Naja haja, which is your um, true Egyptian cobra. And that for me was just amazing. And it just, it sort of just grew from there. And I suppose that whole spark was ignited and made you feel a lot more in it when you actually got the or got the direct experience to work with with that uh, venomous snake but even though you had been practicing on the other ones I, I guess that feeling of actually doing it and actually doing it with an actual venomous snake the adrenaline must have been crazy 
it it definitely was and 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 the the biggest thing as well which which i found was the adrenaline was there from day one because and that's what i believe uh, sort of the foundation i got was was such an amazing one because it's done the right way right so you you equipped with the right sort of um foundation so you're not thrown in the deep end in the sense that you are now working with highly venomous animals and you know you sort of take for granted how dangerous it can potentially be um and also by having the information and having studied them and knowing the geographical locations knowing their behavior knowing um you know the scientific name the common name having all that sort of information just lays that foundation so so when you're actually in the scenario and and you're doing it but you know by that point it becomes clockwork and right you know it becomes a second nature uh, in terms of how you react in situations um it's almost like there's an automatic switch that goes off and your training because you've done it hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times right um you know you sort of know exactly what to do a classic example is a grab stick which is basically a, a piece of equipment that um nowadays a lot of um snake rex- rescuers or herpetologists use um you know back in the day it was mainly used for eating um and also with restraining snakes such as black mambas specifically um you know i had to pick up a, a raw egg from the ground with the grab stick and put it up on the table take it off put it back on the ground right and i was told to do that i can't even remember how many times countless and times. that was before <laughs> i was ever allowed to actually use a grab stick on a snake right and and that for me just again shows a level of care and training and thought into the fact that you're dealing with an animal adrenaline kicks in if you're in a scenario where you know you you get a fright you may exert too much pressure you may injure the animal so that sort of for me has always been something that stayed with me um you know and and in my career um that has become my way or mantra of how I've taught others where right. you know you go back to basics you do things the right way you don't rush in into anything sure. um and you just allow it to develop and grow you know as you go yeah i think that's the best way to do it and then stepping out of how to be a sport into a large zoo like Joburg Zoo what what was that like yeah well you know it was amazing even even at at the Hardebier Sportdam snake park even though um you know i was when i left i was the supervisor on the reptile department um i think it was 6 months or so i moved up from the assistant um supervisor to the supervisor mm-hmm. um i i had opportunities to train seals um and to do seal shows to do reptile shows um and that was to big audiences so really from that perspective from sort of the show and visitor interaction um point of view you know i learned so much but also being exposed to animals there such as the jaguar such as um spotted hyena brown bears um orangutan uh caracal serval um lemurs lions so it was just so varied um and that's what i've i've always loved so much is that even though you're in one specific field um the exposure is just so amazing and then when i went to joburg zoo very much the same sort of thing um you know you've got the chimpanzees there's um giraffes i even at the joburg zoo had the honor of working with the polar bear there was a procedure done Um, right. and and i mean how many people can say that they had the opportunity to physically touch a polar bear you know the animal was anesthetized during a dental procedure um and obviously we were part of the the capture team and and assisting um, right. on the whole 
day. So for me, that was something that will stay with me until the day I die, knowing that I've been so privileged to, to have been in the presence of such a majestic animal. Yeah, and the only polar bears that were ever on the African continent. Yeah, exactly. To make it even more exciting and right. more awesome. But <laughs> yeah, yeah Jobitu was, was, was very good, hey? Um, you know, having um, Makoko, the gorilla, um, mm-hmm. having been exposed to, to animals like that, um, you know, your chimpanzees, and also, when I walked into to the Johannesburg Zoo as the reptile keeper there, um, I took on board the portfolio of the um, amphibian conservation and research um, project. I became the chairman. Right. Um, and in my two years that I was there, we really did a lot of amazing work with the amphibian project where we went on collections um, to go and collect um, the Natal, at that stage, the Natal ghost frog tadpoles from up in Kraskop, where we were working on projects with species, uh, common species with the hope of developing husbandry protocols and breeding them to a F2 or 3 generation, right. and then being able to go and collect the, the sort of analog species, which would be of, of um, conservation importance, such as um, vulnerable, endangered, or, or critically endangered. So that was also an amazing opportunity and experience as well. Yeah, it's so nice to hear about those conservation projects and being a part of the the projects that, you know, make a difference in conservation in zoos is so important. And, um, you know, the, the first time I ever met you was actually at Joburg Zoo. That was our first introduction to each other. Um, I had been volunteering at the zoo prior to that, and then I had moved on to, to Monty and had been popping into the zoo now and then, and that's how we met. Yeah, I, I still remember it. It was, was quite, quite cool. Um, Joburg Zoo was really an amazing time of my life, um, you know, from sort of 2009 to 2011. And again, you know, my um, experience grew, my exposure grew, um, and also just being in, in, in a big facility, as you mentioned, you know, um, Johannesburg Zoo, one of the bigger facilities in the country. Um, you know, so that was that was an amazing experience having the elephants there as well, being exposed right. to all those sort of different animal groups. And I think the biggest thing with with zoological facilities and um, with me specifically, I think it's quite a unique s- situation because I, I qualified as a nature conservationist, um, and then to be slotted into you know the ex situ conservation part of things, you know, not many. Um, graduates out of out of nature conservation end up in zoological facilities and you know you and I both know um, in some instances many people sort of frown upon uh, zoological facilities and and, um, you know the role and function of ex situ conservation and you know having worked on on several projects and um, you know working in facilities that that do things the right way I don't think people realize the impact um, and the importance of the, the work that we do do. Right. And um, in scenarios where, where species out in the wild are being decimated and there's so many threats out there to wild populations, having, having facilities working together, um, you know, with a sort of combined goal um, uh, and objective in mind is how we can make a major impact and difference. And also just by giving the opportunity to expose people to the natural world um you know close up i mean we see it every day uh, the look on a young child looking at an animal um you know up close and just being completely in awe yeah and i think that is where um 
it's the starting point of the future generation of conservationists is that um, and what the role we can play in the interaction with a public member can make that different if we're passionate about what we're doing and and we have the opportunity to educate and to show our passion automatically the little ones will look at us and be like wow this is so cool look at this animal and just be mesmerized and and that's how it starts absolutely it's setting those goosebump moments and those memorable moments that kind of spark the next generation to step into the positions that we are currently in for example to be the next conservationists to protect the wildlife and preserve what we have on this planet so it's so important. And and going back to Joburg Zoo and the frogs and you being part of that, um, I just saw a few days ago um, Joburg Zoo reintroducing Picus reed frogs. Um, I mean, that just goes to show you that zoos are doing a great job. No, without a doubt. And and even um, ones that already started down here at, at Crockwell Conservation Center, it must have been four years ago now already, if my memory serves me correctly. We, I actually had the opportunity to go out to, to the site um, and to go and assist with, 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 I think, one of the first collections of uh, Picker's Gills to take back to Joburg Zoo. So even though when I left Joburg Zoo, we, we weren't at the point in the project yet where um, we had gotten in the Picker's Gills reed frog, mm-hmm. you know, just to be part of that final sort of little circle uh, and to see that project come to fruition was an awesome um, experience for me. Yeah, it's a great feeling. And knowing that you know, yes, you were you're working on a different frog at the time, but that whole project has stemmed from different different species and moved along, and it's all those pioneering species that kind of help with getting the reintroduction going with all the other different species. No, for sure, and and you know, again, that just goes to show you that um, facilities do do things the right way. You know, you don't jump in and just go and uh, collect uh, critically endangered species from the wild you you do you do the hard yards you do the groundbreaking work as you mentioned and yeah you know you have a starting point and, and an end goal and you sort of work towards that and that just goes to show you that the significance of the work you do is actually so important and to follow those steps through from start to finish is even more so absolutely and then leaving Joburg zoo you stepped into a whole different world of <laughs> Yeah, geez, where do we even start? <laughs> Hopefully from the beginning. Yeah, that we can. That's yeah. fine. <laughs> so yeah, I, I moved down to um, Crockwold at the time, um, 2011. I started on the 1st of April. Um, I was a bright-eyed and bushy-tailed 26-year-old uh, with a young family. <laughs> you know, moved down from Joburg, leave the, the family up in Pretoria. I had this amazing opportunity and... Uh, I left at it and came down and I started as the manager at, at 26 years old. Um, you know, at that point in time, I had some sort of leadership experience having um, finished my career at the snake park as, as sort of the supervisor, right. being in a keeper role at, at Johannesburg Zoo, also having some leadership responsibilities, but walking in um, at 26 and having a whole team of, of people under you that, you know, you're it. Um, you know, it was a very big sobering moment for me in my career. Um, and yeah, I, I grew, uh, the, the person I am today is, is thanks to the exposure and experience, um, and all the, the various leadership, um, roles I had to take on 
when I came down to to Crockworld has sort of put me in such amazing stead in my life now and has brought me to the point um, you know, where I've been a manager of a wildlife facility for, for nine years. Yeah, oh, crazy. Um, just to think back and know that you've been, you know, pushing along and, and working really, really hard to to get to where you are now and um, some interesting horizons. Yeah, no, no, definitely. Um, I, I very recently, it's, it's, it's quite a, still a sore topic for me, but um, I, I've been blessed with an amazing opportunity to further my career abroad. Um, I very recently got a position as a senior ranger at a facility in Ireland um, in Cork called Fota Wildlife Park. Um, so I, I'm sadly, I'm departing uh, Crockworld, now Crockworld Conservation Centre. Um, my last day is on the, the 27th of November and we'll be relocating to Ireland and I'll be starting a new chapter of, of my life and, and my family's life and my career um, on the 4th of January when I start at my new facility yeah that's i mean uh, you know speaking from personal side of things um a bit of a a shock but uh of yeah. course very excited and um looking forward to hearing all the the exciting new things that you get yourself involved with um and you know all of these steps that we make throughout our career you know sort of position us into our path that we are going to be following yeah without um, a doubt ryan and, and also you know for me um what, what i've learned in one of my 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 greatest sort of lessons is you know being in in in, in management you you are sort of a custodian you know being a, a manager is is one thing um being a leader is another but even more importantly for me personally is is being a mentor yeah. Um, you know, in my in my career, um, I've been mentored, as I mentioned, by people such as Kenneth Stradom and, and Jason Seal, who laid that foundation for me. Right. And, you know, for me, I, I feel mentoring is, is so important because all you're doing is you're reinforcing and you're igniting the flame and the fire for them, you know, for the people who work with you, your colleagues, um, the people who work under you, you know, the senior managers above you it's it's just about being in a position where you can inspire others and you can sort of help others to be the best versions of themselves right. and also you know with the mindset that whatever i do i want the person who i'm assisting or helping or mentoring or teaching to become better than what i am and you know that has always been my, my biggest focus at, at crockworld conservation center is to to be a mentor to others and um, a lesson my father taught me a very wise man um, and someone I hold very very dear to me you know he he mentioned something to me and I think we often forget you know being in in the wildlife industry and being in ex situ conservation you know our focus is is the animals within our care our our main goal is to ensure that we provide the best husbandry we provide the best environment for them we educate right. people but but what we forget is the catalyst to make that possible is our employees yeah and um you know my father taught me he said to me my boy you are nothing without your employees you right. will achieve nothing you will go nowhere you will you will be pulling a rope uh, and pulling 20 30 people behind you right um and that has always stayed right in the forefront of of my mind you know in my day-to-day -day, um sort of working career and 
that for me, I think is, is culminated in such a special group of people at Crockworld at the moment. And I'm sure you can attest to that. Yeah. You know, each person is not just an employee. They're not just a number on a pay slip. You know, they are humans and they've got goals and they've got aspirations. And through us using that, we can inspire a sense of empathy towards animals. We can inspire our colleagues to be the best versions of themselves and for them to to carry out this amazing work in the XU2 conservation field and for them to um, you know really make giant strides in in the world of con conservation and contributions you know inspire others and and that's what is so exciting about being in the industry and field that we are in yeah absolutely and I can definitely say that I am very grateful for um, everything that I've learned from you even in the short time that I've being able to work yeah. with you um, uh, you know it's been an honor and it's been really amazing to be a part of it and learn from you and I have definitely learned so much um, that has now helped me in my career and my way forward so I really thank you for that and appreciate that it's only been a pleasure Ryan you know you and I've come quite a, a you know as you mentioned we we've sort of known each other for many many years and um, you know, we've been working on uh, trying to get you to work at Crockwell for quite some time because I've always admired your work ethic and admired, um, you know, your expertise and your knowledge and your skills and experience. And, and you've also had an amazing career this far. And um, I know you as a bird curator, you know, in your current role at Crockwell Conservation Center, you've, you've made a massive impact, um, especially on, on the bird side. But just um, just with your, your, your all the things you've brought into the facility um, has really been amazing. And, and as just helping Crockworld Conservation Center, setting us up for success going forward. Um, you know, Crockworld will always be an incredibly special place. Um, you know, it will always have a very special place in my heart. Um, you know, I've always been someone that if I do something, I do it with everything I am um, or nothing at all. And, you know, it's not just a job, it becomes a part of you. And I, I can already tell it is a part of you as well. And I know that that is going to to help grow you, um, you know, in your future at the facility as well. <laughs> Thank you, Martin. Thanks very much. And of course, like you've always said, my uh, at this point, my blood bleeds Crockworld. Yeah, you know, that's, <laughs> that's always like an insider joke, I suppose. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, you know, you have to sort of declare your loyalty. Yeah, and, um, you know, we always chat about it quite often, actually, as part of the, the, the sort of the management team, is that at the end of the day, um, taking ownership of something is so important because that is the cornerstone. That's that's your foundation to work from. You know, if if you take ownership of whatever you're exposed to, you know, you know for a fact that you're going to give it your best. You're going to take accountability. And you automatically develop a responsibility to do your best. You know, I think we we take for granted, um, and we've all, always spoken quite often about this: is that on a day to day, you know, we're going to work. We we've got our list of things that we want to achieve. We um, go about our day. Before we know it, the day's finished, and you know, the the next day starts. And right. I don't think we often stop enough and reflect on what we have achieved. Yeah. Um, and the impact that the work has on people. Um, and, and that, I think, is a very important um, thing to, to always bear in mind as well. 
Yeah, I think that's for everybody, you know, working in the industry. It's so important for them to just take a few moments just to think about the work that they are putting in and how it can impact so many lives and so many different people, whether it creates another conservationist and another animal keeper, care personnel, uh, vet, uh, anybody, a trainer. You know, it's the the small little things that we do in our career and that can pretty much mold somebody else's life, which is, if you think about it, is really amazing. It, it really is. But, you know, to take that one step further, I think if, if we just look at it from this perspective, you know, with us going out and assisting local communities when, when there's wildlife in distress or, you know, whether there be a, a snake that is encountered in someone's home right. or a bird of prey or an animal that is injured, you right. know, I think we forget the impact and the role we can play in those scenarios where you've got people that are, are necessarily contacting you out of fear. Right. Um, you know, often when it comes to snakes or contacting you out of empathy towards an animal which they deem to be injured or, you know, sick. Right. And, you know, the role we have there can change perceptions immediately. Um, exactly. You know, just by our passion, our knowledge, our sort of approach towards the situation, um, you know, you, you can basically save animals' lives just there. For example, if someone calls you and says they've got a snake at their property, if you don't get here now, they're going to kill it. Um, you know, you arrive there and it's a harmless brown house snake as an example. Yeah. And, um, you know, you go about sharing your information and, and explaining that guys, brown house snakes are excellent at controlling rodent populations. Um, and that's why they're called a house snake because they are attracted to properties because Normally, homes have an abundance of rodents, and you can identify it this way. And you all know they're great to have, and they're not venomous. And oh, would you would you like to touch it? Um, and automatically, when you arrive at the property, the person is shouting at you from 50 meters away. Right. And by the time you wipe your eyes out, they're holding it and asking someone to take a photo. And I think it's in those little moments that we actually make the biggest impact. You know, sure. so the next time that person finds, you know, a snake on their property, they're going to send you a message and be like, oh, check, I found this. What is it? Right. What do we do? And and that is an important thing. And, and with birds of prey like owls, you know, the work I've seen you do, and that's been amazing too, with the amount of um, impact you've had with, with the owl project and about dispelling misconceptions and, and cultural beliefs about animals like owls. Yeah. Um, and sort of the you bringing the, the plight of the owl to the forefront um, has been amazing. And I think that is probably some of the most rewarding work we do, yep. um, just purely because of, of the fact that it can change people's perceptions that have got nothing to do with conservation in that sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's it's definitely one of those things that talks to your, you know, when you get enthusiastic about something, you know, those community members get to see it and it, it can definitely be a mind change for them. Um, and by doing that, like you said, can save so much wildlife, which is really, really great. And um, I mean, that's really what we do our work for, whether it's educating um, the youth when they come to visit parks and zoos or even adults or being out in the community and exposing people to wildlife. Um, it's just all really important and it, it molds a great community for, you know, warriors of protecting wildlife.
yeah, for sure. You, you know, Ryan, there, there's something that that really drives the message home for me. If if I look at at Crockwell Conservation Center, I mean, it's a facility that is um, so well known within the greater sort of mid south coast of of KwaZulu Natal. And if I look at its history, um, you know, since being opened on the 27th of March 1985, um, you know, the facility has welcomed over one and a half million visitors. And I think if, if we look at that number alone, um, you know, it sort of put, puts into perspective the amount of um, people's perceptions we've, we've been able to change over the years. And I think we, we often forget um, how important facilities like, like Crockwell Conservation Center is and the role that a facility has to play as well in, in the community is also so important. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. And uh, even though you are sadly leaving us, we will continue with yeah. our our push forward for our conservation and yes. community work. And yeah, we really appreciate everything you've done. And I, I'm speaking for myself and I'm sure I'm speaking for everybody else at, at Crockwold as well, that it has been an honor to work with you, um, even though for me it was short, like we mentioned, but it's it's yeah. been absolutely fantastic and we wish you all the best. I wish you all the best on your future endeavors and very exciting future that you have um, and more experiences and getting to now work with some of those animals you may have lost touch with a little bit. Um, working in yes. a slightly smaller facility where there's no mammals or anything like that, now getting the opportunity to work with some of those animals that you possibly also will might change your mind on your um, favorite animal. <laughs> no, for sure. I mean, you, for me, Photo Wildlife Park is, is is a facility I'm really, really excited about working at. Um, you know the the amount of of work they've done. Uh, they've got a very similar history to to Crockwell. They've they've been open since 1983. Um, they opened in June of of 1983, and you know it's a it's a massive uh, facility um, on the European continent. Uh, it's it's a facility that averages 440 odd thousand visitors a year, right. um, having over 11 million visitors through their facility. You know throughout. Um, the time it's been opened um, oh. and just the the animals they've got there you know from the greater indian or one-horned rhino to rothschild's giraffe to Amazing. asiatic lions sumatran tigers agile gibbons law gibbon simon gibbon uh, you know the list goes on um, right. sloths uh, humboldt um, penguins you know european bison uh, you know they've got so many projects on the go there as well um you know conservation initiatives um the northern cheetah as well they've they've bred over 200 cheetah cubs through throughout you know the time the facility has been opened so i'm just very excited about um getting the opportunity to to fly the the south african flag uh, south african slash portuguese flag <laughs> I, I would say you know on the european continent and um you know, just just taking on the new experience, and I'm very excited about it, as as you are well aware. Yeah. Um, at the same time, it's also very difficult for me to say goodbye to Crockwold. Um, but I've always maintained that uh, I believe the facility is in fantastic hands. Um, with the support that that our company has has given, you know, the facility um, at the exec level, and also just knowing the young conservationists. Um, 
with with wonderful morals and with good hearts and with the right sort of grit that you need to succeed in 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 our industry you know with yourself um james uh, woodstock the reptile curator um smilo nolene you know just everyone there i i think the facilities in fantastic hands and and it's actually an honor and privilege for me to you know hand over the torch so to speak to you guys knowing that you're going to only make uh, unbelievable success and and continue the amazing work the facility is known for thanks martin we really appreciate that and yeah all the best for you and thank you so much for being on the show i really appreciate it taking time out of your family no, time <laughs> no absolutely anything for you no stress whatsoever right thank you so much and yeah we'll we'll enjoy our last few weeks that you have with us yes. and <laughs> and let's have fun yeah absolutely and all the best with that thank you so much martin and yeah thanks, thanks everybody if there's any questions you have um i'm more than happy to um pass them on to martin he might be willing to answer them for you if you have any questions about animal talk podcast or you have any topics that you would like to chat about please feel free to email us at animal.talk 201 at gmail.com and we'll be more than happy to answer your questions or look at those different topics so thanks very much martin have a fantastic evening it's been great chatting to you and look forward to so much. enjoying the next three weeks and your future photographs on facebook as i'll be following on social media <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely right thank you very much and thank you to to everyone listening as well Thanks so much. Have a good one. Thanks, everyone. Too, and remember, man. animals are our passion. Bye-bye. Still funny, but don't worry. I'll hold oh, it. Oh, there we go. Yeah. It's cool. back. It's much better now. There we go. Cool stuff. Cool. Sorry about that, right? No problem. Jeez, I've been speaking. I've been speaking like in this whole the whole thing. Thinking, you know, like <laughs> trying. You okay? Cool. You're all good. Okay. Okay. Where we? Where were we? Uh, we were talking about educating the community. Mm -hmm.